Well, good morning, everyone. Those who are here, those who are watching online, thank you so much for being a part of today's message. I have to say, I got a little busy this week, so I didn't get to do what I wanted to do. I wanted to send out a, a sneak peek of what we're talking about today. We've been talking about love, and um, I'm just super excited about this next part. I'm going to... Um, I'll talk about it in a minute. I've got a couple of announcements to make. But I just uh, am excited about the part that love has to play in holiness. And um, so we're going to start there. But uh, before I do that, I want to say to everybody who helped yesterday with the uh, Farmers to Families uh, food, it was a smashing success. 192 boxes were given out of food. And there's about 20 pounds per box, I think is what they are. Anyway... They were given out in under an hour. Um, I, I was not able to be here yesterday, but um, I was talking with Heather and George just a little while ago, and they said that when they got here at 8.30, it starts at 9, uh, there were already 20 cars, and then by the time it was time to start, the li- cars were lined up into the street. So um, I think it's good. I think that we're meeting a need, and we're going to continue to do that until um, as long as the program goes and uh, right now through December it looks like so uh, it's going to be a great time if you'd like to help with that in any way then um, let Heather know and she'll get you scheduled we're because of the longevity of it we're trying to do kind of a rotation of of small groups and Sunday school classes and um, anyway it's good very very oh and diapers we did diapers we passed out diapers and I guess we're going to still collect diapers if you have if you'd like to donate some diapers then you can bring those up during the week and um, somebody's here up here now every day, I guess, so you can bring them anytime you want. Um, and then also we are, as you can tell, uh, after Mandy left, we're trying to um, add some pieces to our, our uh, worship team and our uh, technical team. So if you can find some, um, if you are interested in serving in any of, either of those, then let us know. And uh, we have a, a form that we can uh, give you. I actually have one right here. Lucky enough to have it. Looks like this. Um, we can give you one of these. You can read through that and uh, make sure it's the kind of commitment that you want to make. And then begin serving in those, in those areas. We would love to have you help participate. And you can see we've had people in college. So uh, like Zach is not up here today. He's on his way to SNU along with some others who are going to college. Um, we're going to lose... Tessa today, she's going to be going to OSU, and um, everybody's going to Oklahoma. I don't know what's going on over there, but <clears throat> any Texas colleges? I don't know. But, uh, you know, we love, um, I see Emily over there. She went to a Texas college. So we, we just want to make sure that we have the, you know, we're not very many people in person here, but uh, we have quite a few who are watching online, and we just want to make sure that uh, we're continuing to do the best we can to serve God with um, vigor and gusto, and um, anyway, we appreciate all those who helped to volunteer. And then uh, today, I am going to, uh, I need to let you know, and this is a, a sad announcement for, for me to make, but um, we have uh, one of our, um, saying staff probably is not a strong enough word, but uh, our children's pastor, or uh, Becky is going to be uh, moving on. Um, she has taken a position as a senior pastor. Uh, she's making that step in, 
in a district in Oklahoma, I don't remember which district, but in Oklahoma, again, we're losing everybody in Oklahoma. Um, so she's going to be leaving, and uh, we're kind of making some adjustments here. Jessica's um, going to be taking the children's director, and uh, so it's going to be... Um, it's going to be a transition, so I'm not going to make her come up today, but uh, I'm going to have her come up here in the next week or two. We've only got, uh, I think it's just uh, in three weeks, she's going to be her last Sunday here, and they're going to be making that move. So uh, make sure that you see Becky, that you say hi to her, that you show as much um, COVID affection as you can. I don't know if a, if a masked hug, it would be okay, but uh, uh, we love and appreciate Becky and Wes and their family. They've been... Um, big parts of our church and involved in ministry. So we're going to miss them tremendously. But, um, you know, what does that song say? Things keep on changing. <laughs> it just doesn't matter. We can't stop time. And I'm happy for her. She's uh, fulfilling a God's call, and um, we can't argue with that. So moving on, going to be a senior pastor. And, you know, we are, uh, our denomination, the Church of the Nazarene, people ask about, uh, denominations, and there was a time when even being a part of a denomination was um, not in vogue, but I will say one of the things I'm proud of our denomination, the Church of the Nazarene, about is that um, we believe in women in ministry and women as pastors, and that when God calls a woman, it's just the same as God calling a man, and they, so um, anyway, I'm proud of her and taking that step, and also praying for her, um, so she'll be It'll be interesting to see. I'm going to sneak up someday and uh, watch her in action, but we'll find out when that happens. So uh, I started off by talking about um, what, what we're going to be talking about today. So I need to give a preface. Today's going to feel like there's not a lot of love involved in it, but I've got to use today to set up the next several weeks, okay? And uh, you'll understand when we get there uh, where I'm going with everything, but uh, I just, I, I love, I love holiness. Um, I love the idea of the pursuit of righteousness. I, I love knowing that I was created in God's image and that my life as a Christian is pursuing that image being restored in me because we know that sin has distorted that image. Sin has messed it up and as I grow closer to God, His image is even more restored. And then on that day, whenever I cross from this life into the next, from this age into the age to come, that image will be perfected. And um, so I love that pursuit of holiness, of righteousness, and we're going to talk about the, uh, that today. Um, so one time, as part of her job, Cerise had a job once upon a time, and as part of her job, she had to do uh, what they called the Executive Oil Conference in Midland, Texas. So she went to the Executive Oil Conference, and um, she was working for, actually, my dad's company, and they had several people who were going to be there, and they had to go and set up a booth, and, you know, it's this conference. And um, so she let me know that on this particular day, my job was to pick the kids up from uh, daycare, the preschool that they went to. And uh, they, were, they were young kids at this point. I think Morgan was five or six, Maddie was three, and Caden was just a baby, an infant. Um, I do know that every time she was gone in the morning, whenever I had uh, those three kids at that age, 
I was always so thankful that they had a mom because uh, it was difficult times. <laughs> you know, try doing a five-year-old's hair because uh, it's just never right, and then it never stays, and then you bang your head against the wall. Maddie was three years old. So I'm good at doing a task. You give me a task, I'm going to do it. Like, Cal, I want you to do this. Good, I can do that. You know, not a lot of thinking involved. Here's your job. You go do that. And so that was what it was this day. Cal, after school, you need to go pick the kids up, and then I want you to drive to Midland and, and meet me here, and, um, you know, we'll kind of be finishing up the conference and we'll do whatever. So I, I did good, picked up the kids, drove to Midland. It was about a 45-minute drive. We, we got there and um, I came into the building with the three kids. I had, had a baby in my hands, I had a five-year-old and a three-year-old. I'm sure it's strange, you know, seeing a dad do that. So um, not strange, but uh, everybody's thinking, I hope the kids survive because we see a man's doing this. So five and three in the infant. So here we go. Got the kids, come in the conference center in, uh, in Midland. And uh, as I come in there, there's people that are talked to. So I begin to talk to people as I do. And then Sarisa uh, walks up to me. She says, hey, how you doing? Oh, I'm doing good. Here's the baby, Caden. You know, you can have him. And then, whew, thank you. Help me with that. And then uh, she says, where's Maddie? I don't know. Maddie's... I don't know where Maddie's at. Where did Maddie go? She came in the building with me. I don't see her. And then it wasn't 30 seconds, and it was full alarm bells. Where did my three-year-old go? We cannot find her. She is nowhere in the vicinity. I don't see her over here. I don't see her over here. I don't see her in this room. I don't see her in this room. I don't know if you've ever been there. Panic City. We are looking. So now, now this whole building, the conference center, we've got about 20 people trying to find our three-year-old baby. And then I'm thinking, oh, no, they're going to send me to jail. CPS is going to be called. Um, I, I don't know what's going to happen here. And we began to look at the, everywhere that we can find. And she was on the other side of the building. She had went down some steps and w- when we found her. And she was walking down the hallway, three years old. I should have known then she was always going to be awesome. <laughs> See what I did there? If you're watching, baby girl, you know I love you. So it was a, uh, it, it was a, it was a, I just want to say that I, I'm not sure about my kids that I have been scared more than that. There's been a couple times with my kids that I've been scared, but that, that ranks up there because I couldn't find her. She was, she was at least 100 yards away. She was only three years old. She knew nothing about who, and she grew up in the church, so she trusts everybody. You know, she, she knows this person and this person, and oh, I don't know you, but it's cool, let's talk, you know. They just didn't know. She didn't have those boundaries. And um, it, it, was, it was very scary. And there's just nothing like losing something, especially a child. I mean, I'm sure many of you have experienced the loss of something. This, for me, was something I will never forget, the feeling of losing my little girl. A while ago, I read a book called Relational Holiness. Relational Holiness. You can remember that. Buy it if you want. I think it's a great book. And I found it as a fascinating book. And so that's what I'm going to use that as the basis of what we're going to be talking about and how love influences our pursuit of holiness, of righteousness. I think we can all agree that holiness is not as prevalent in churches as it once was. Even the word holiness, talking about holiness, um, thinking about holiness, all of those things. And some of you grew up with ideas of what holiness is. But we don't talk about it like we used to. And it's very curious, I think, 
but we're going to talk about it for the next few weeks. Uh, as we get into today's message, I want to let you know that you can um, follow along on today's notes. The, uh, go to the Lantana Church app and uh, just dig into the notes there. You can also find them on the, the Bible app um, if you're familiar with that. So today I'm basing this on 1 Peter chapter 1. We can read this, uh, follow along. Therefore, with minds that are alert and fully sober, set your hope on the grace to be brought to you when Jesus Christ is revealed at his coming. As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. But just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it is written, be holy because I am holy. Do not conform to the evil desires. It's holiness. So my question is, and this is where I want to start, is where has holiness gone? Where has holiness? Is holiness something that, like my child, we have just lost? Is holiness gone? It seems to me like the ideas that we were founded on are lost to us today, or at least are not viewed as holiness. Uh, reading this book has caused me to really think about holiness. It seems that we, as Christian, as, as holiness people, have lost it. I mean, so some of the classical terms of holiness, and, and as we talk about holiness, can you back up to the scripture real quick? As we talk about holiness, holiness is this. Do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance, a.k.a. before you were saved. Do not conform to those evil desires. That's holiness, the pursuit of righteousness, of right living, holiness. So I'm going to say that word a lot, but I don't want it to be lost on you that this is how it's, it's defined. Not conforming to those evil desires. So you might have heard some of the classical terms of holiness like this, Christian perfection. John Wesley was famous for bringing about this idea of Christian perfection, entire sanctification, the second blessing, baptism of the Holy Spirit. Have you heard those before? Those are all terms we've probably heard. They're just not really used as often as they used to be. At the very least, they don't seize our imagination like they once did. There was once a great holiness revival that swept the nation, the world even. Because people were interested in holiness and curious about what it could be. So as we talk about this, where has holiness gone? The, the Church of the Nazarene has a rich tradition of holiness going all the way back to the very beginning of our denomination. It is what spurred even going further back John Wesley into this uh, idea of what he called at the time Methodism that eventually became the Methodist Church. And then out of the Methodist church came a guy named Phineas Brzee who wanted to uh, talk about, think about, live a holy life. And the church of the Nazarene was born. By the way, interesting, the, the name, and this isn't a history lesson today, but the name Church of the Nazarene, which some people, I don't know if you get it, some people will say, um, Nazarene, what is that? Like, are you guys some kind of a, a cult or are you, a, you know, it's a... Nazarene. I get it. But actually, we were named Church of the Nazarene because Phineas Brzee wanted to identify, this is his words, identify with the lowly mission of Christ, Jesus, who was a Nazarene. 
Identify with his lowly mission. What was his mission? To serve people. To feed the hungry. To clothe the naked. How did God say we would do things for him? When we fed those who were hungry. When we gave to those who didn't have. When we visited those who were in prison. That's Anyway, like I said, it's not, it's not, but that is where the name came from, the Church of the Nazarene. I love that, to identify with the lowly mission of Christ. So that's my first question. Has it been lost, or is it just not as important? It seems like the weight behind the terms we have used for so long, just that weight is gone. Perhaps we can identify with this story that I found about um, the Myanmar pygmies. Perhaps holiness, the way of the holiness tradition is becoming like them. And in the year 2000, uh, there was a conservationist. His name was Alan Rabinowitz. I love his last name, by the way. Alan Rabinowitz. So he set out to explore this remote mountain region in Myanmar. And prior to uh, that, in 1989, it was known as, and you guys remember this, Burma. So it was Burma. In 89, it, it was uh, changed names to my, the regions of Myanmar. So Rabinowitz wanted to document different species of, of indigenous animals and plants, and he just wanted to do this kind of scientific explanation, uh, exploration and look at things that were largely unknown to uh, the rest of the world. As he was getting ready to, to, to do this, and of course Myanmar, they supported his expedition. They thought, oh, this would be neat. Uh, to have somebody look in and you know, find the things. And as he was researching, he found that some 40 years earlier, in the late 50s, early 60s, a, a paper had been published, some reports about this region that mentioned a tribe of approximately 100 pygmies living in the Myanmar mountains. Just this tribe, 100 pygmies living in the mountains. And this apparently contained the world's only pygmies, this is interesting, of Asian ancestry. So they're still pygmies, but this was the only pygmies of Asian ancestry. And so it became even more exciting because he wasn't only going to look at plants and animals and those things. He was going to have an opportunity now to rediscover this forgotten group of pygmies. That, so, you know, and you can imagine as a researcher, they had been written about 40 years earlier. So now here he is going to be able to go in and see, hey, what's happened to this tribe of 100 pygmies? So he, he began to do his research, explore it a little bit. I'll try to hurry up the story. He got into the, the mountains, and as he was in there for a time, he finally came across this group of pygmies. And what he found surprised him because only about a dozen of these uh, dwarfish, native, indigenous people still lived. The genetic lineage of only three of them remained pure. And those three had decided not to marry. So this fascinated him. Basically, they had decided to participate in the extinction of their people. There are no longer any Myanmar pygmies of Asian ancestry on this world. 
because they participate in their own extinction. And so in his research, he found one uh, 39-year-old, the youngest among them still. He was 39 years old. His name was, uh, his name was Dawi. Again, I love that name, Dawi. The pygmies were at this time nearing total disappearance. And he asked him, why have you guys not grown anymore? So Dawi said, hey, and this is true of what happens with inbreeding, but there's a high infant mortality rate, there's a high uh, infant um, or mental illness, you know, in our people, and so we've just decided to not perpetuate that and just not have children. Now the interesting thing about this is they could have saved their genetic identity. They could have chosen to reinvigorate their disappearing race. You see, their genetic relatives were not very far away in China. So they could have spent some time, um, found some, some uh, relatives, their cousins really, in China, and, and had more children that way. They also could have maintained their cultural identity, but they chose not to do that either, that they could have married with non-pygmy people, those who are in the area around them, and maintain their cultural identity. But instead of that, they chose to just participate in their own extinction. They chose not to maintain genetic purity. They chose uh, uh, not to maintain their cultural identity. So the people perished. And I wonder if for us, as a holiness church. Because we don't talk about it very much. We are choosing the extinction of holiness. Or perhaps we're driving the message away. I need to tell you that I believe holiness is as valid today as it, as it has ever been. I just think that maybe we need to reframe how we talk about it. Explain it in a way that this generation will understand. Like I said, at one time, holiness swept the entire continent. People everywhere were becoming holy. The Church of the Nazarene was birthed out of that. The Church of the Nazarene started in um, L.A., Los Angeles. That's where Phineas Brzee started his very first church. And then... They found there were some other holiness churches over in this part of the United States and some other holiness churches over here. And, and they had, this is pretty cool too, they had a big meeting where they had all the different holiness churches and groups. They met at Pilot Point, Texas. Pilot Point, Texas. And uh, this happened in 1907, first meeting. And then in 1908, they had the first general assembly. They came together. They uh, made what is now known as the Church of the Nazarene. See, a denomination is only a group of people with similar ideas that uh, want to spread our message through the world. It's not a bad thing. In fact, it gives us leverage to be able to reach people in other countries that we otherwise would not be able to reach to spread and perpetuate our message. So in 1908, the Church of the Nazarene was, was born out of a holiness revival in Pilot Point, Texas. That's pretty cool. Go to the church at Pilot Point sometime. There's all kinds of uh, things there that um, talk about it. But time has changed. 
And over time, taking a hard stand against sin is not in vogue anymore. Many Christians will say, well, we only need Jesus. And I think I take exception with that because what does that even mean? True, we need Jesus. And we don't need Jesus and, it's it's only Jesus, but we need a holy pursuit of Jesus. It's different than just saying, Jesus, forgive me for my sins. Holiness is it's a whole nother level. It's, I am asking you to forgive me, but now I'm also giving you everything. So God has called us to be a holy people, and that's our scripture today. Peter reminds us, he says, God told us, be holy as I am holy. Later, he says that we are all a, and you remember this, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. It's what we're called to be. So what does it mean to be holy? The word holy means to be dedicated or devoted to the service of God, to be devout or godly, to live in a pursuit of righteousness, not sinfulness. Do you understand then the significance of the church of the Nazarene saying we are a holy people? So there's, there's problems with, I think, where we find ourselves today, speaking of holiness. I hope you can stay with me today. Like everybody here, and I hope on, maybe online it's a little different, but this is, this is like a good teaching, you know. It's, it's not a whole lot of preaching today, but if you, if you really pay attention, and if we, we really want this pursuit of a rightness with God, We need to find out what's happened to holiness. So I said we need to reframe holiness, and that's this next part. How can we help people better understand holiness today? Holiness is valid. Holiness is good. It is who we are. It's what we're called to be and, and who, or who we're called to be and what we're called to do, right? So, so how do we reframe it so that it becomes more engaging to other people? Let's talk about the past versus the present. I remember I was talking with a, a friend of mine, and, and um, I don't want to get too long, but like this is, this is for me, this is awesome. This is interesting, and, and I love uh, the pursuit of holiness, um, practicing it in my own life. I, I remember one time I was talking with a friend, and, and as a child, and I've said this before, I had this image of God as, as an old man in a white robe with a white beard and a lightning bolt. Right? And he was going to strike me with lightning for every mistake that I made. He was sitting up there ready to judge me. That was my image of God. That's how I thought of God growing up. And that was really, I guess nobody ever told me that, but that was the way everybody acted about God. Oh, you better not sin. Oh, you better not mess up. Oh, it's going to be trouble. Right? And I, I talked to a friend one time as an adult, and I told him I was, as I discovered how much God loves me, which everybody always said that God was love, but as I understood that, I told him I was irritated. I can't believe they taught me all that when I was a kid. And he said, wait, 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 stop just a minute. Because our past has made us who we are. There's nothing wrong with speaking about or 
talking about holiness and where we came from in that regard. In fact, I stand before you today because my dad had a group of people who came around him and taught him all of the things he should not do, and he, it helped him be a better Christian. So I don't want to bash anything in our past, okay? I think our past is beautiful. I think our past makes us who we are, and I think we need to embrace our past. The issue is not our past. The issue is our present. How can we speak about holiness in a way that contemporary society can understand and move forward? I don't think we do away with our past and our history and our heritage. I love it. I think we embrace it. And now let's see how can we... Society has changed. Culture has changed. Speaking about it the way that we used to just doesn't engage people as it used to. So how, how is it that we can engage presently? Uh, perhaps understanding having a relational worldview. Okay, the fact is that the way we view the world is not the same as it was 100 years ago, right? It's not the same as it was 50 years ago. It's not even the same as it was 20 years ago. Culture changes, society changes, things are different than they used to be. In talking about a relational worldview, we're not talking about being social or, or friendly. It's not talking about caring or congeniality necessarily. Talking about a, having a relational worldview, I, relationship seems to summarize where we're at today, right? I mean, we've, we've come into this, and just the, follow me for a minute, we've come into this, what we call a cancel culture, right? You say anything wrong or bad, and you're canceled. That's it. You're over. Everybody unfriends you on Facebook. Everybody unfollows you on Twitter. Everybody bashes you. You have to make a public apology, I read a story the, the other day, no joke, about a guy who was doing a karate move with a friend. It was on TV that people saw this karate move, and the motion he made looked like he was saying, Heil Hitler. And they made him apologize for that. And he said, I'm, I was just, it was just a karate, like I was just being funny and doing a karate move. And it's the culture we live in. So relationship is very important is where I'm getting. It's, it's a relationship world, and if you do something wrong or bad, then they'll cancel that relationship, but we do a lot of work to build relationships. So if we can begin to view the world in a relational way, it considers people and, and society and parts of society as deeply connected with each other. Something you do can and probably will affect somebody else. It didn't used to be that way. This idea that the United States was founded on of the right to privacy got ingrained in society's culture. And at one time, privacy meant like I got a fence around my house. I've got a door on my front, uh, my house, and I shut the door and like this is private and nobody. Now it's like we all live in glass houses. I mean, social media, but it's partly our fault because we post everything on social media. Like, oh, man, I had a hamburger today. Look, here's a picture of it. Oh, look, I um, 
am having a good time with my wife. Oh, look, my kids, we're at the water park. Don't, I do it too, it's fine. But a result of that is everybody knows everything about us now. There is no privacy. So we, we have developed this web of relationships and we need to begin to see the world relationally, understand that. It, it prevails in the sciences. I mean, it is kind of nature, right, this way. For instance, from physics to biology to psychology to political science, various disciplines in between, that there's a, a, a relationship, an interconnectedness in the sciences. In these and, and other domains, it's becoming common to talk about our world as composed of entities or subjects with mutual relationships. And, and many people are beginning to understand meaning itself as having to do with interpersonal relationships. I'm not saying that's necessarily healthy. Who I am should not be defined by who I hang out with. Right? Who's around me? But somehow it's... We're coming to that place. Okay, am I making my point? Let's move on. Uh, relationships. We as people are defined by our relationships. Relationships with others, relationships with, with who we were. We just talked about our relationship with our past. That defines us. Relationships in our environment, socially, family, politically, uh, physically, with nature. They help shape who we are. Now think about this in relationship to God, okay, this is where we're going, and who God is. There is no environment for the Christian in which God is not related to us now and in the past. He's active. He's, he's a loving agent. There's no place that God should not be engaged with who we are. Now, when I was a child, we tried to tell people, um, remember, God's watching you everywhere, Remember that? Lightning bolt. <laughs> He's watching me. That wasn't wrong. But maybe a better way to say it now is we are interconnected with God in every part of our lives. Everything we do, He can't leave us alone. He loves us so much. He desires to have a relationship with us. He, he is intertwined spiritually with the very fabric of our soul. So we can't exist relationally apart from him as a Christian. It's impossible. So yes, he is watching you, but think about it that way. His spiritual fabric being is weaved into our spiritual fabric being, and we're interconnected. Nothing we can do without him if we claim to be with him. But you see, I think as especially Americans and perhaps other cultures too, the right to privacy made us think, you know, we walk into this room and God's not here with me in this room. This is my space. So what we said was this idea of holiness is us giving that space to God. That makes sense. I think now we need to say this idea of holiness is His holy spiritual being is being woven into our spiritual being and causing us as the weave gets tighter to behave more righteously as dr manley said we merge you remember that our being merges with his being 
we become one. So it's not that anything changes. It's just the way that we present it, the way we talk about it, the way we think about holiness begins to change. Okay, I need to move on. Where are we at here? Five minutes. Can we do five minutes? All right, so I want to talk real quick about core, the core notion of holiness and contributing notions. In fact, I'm going to start with contributing notions and then we'll pick up at core notions next week. So in looking at holiness this way, maybe we can begin to under, understand holiness in a way that integrates all of the diverse notions that people have of holiness. There's many ideas of holiness, but I think many of them represent contributing notions to holiness rather than the core of holiness. What I mean is, there was a, there was a time, and, and I actually I, I met with somebody um, just recently, and working through membership in the Church of the Nazarene, describing holiness. And when I said holiness, they said, oh, you mean like we can't wear makeup, we can't cut our hair, we have to wear dresses, it was a woman, that kind of a thing. And see, for her, when you say the word holiness, that's the image that it conjures. But that maybe if those things cause you to sin, then we should avoid those things, right? But that's not the core of, that's not what holiness is. So that's, that's contributing notion. Make sense? Let me explain with the story. Um, nearly 3,000 years ago, the earliest Western philosophers wondered what the most fundamental unit of existence might be. Thales, who was maybe the earliest philosopher, thought that, and who woke up one day and said, you know what, I'm going to start a new thing and I'm just going to think. We'll call it philosophy. <laughs> Thales did, apparently. He thought water was the most fundamental element. So it appeared to him that all of life depended on water and water can be found in almost everything, so the most basic element must be water. A couple generations later, Anaximenes, another name that I love, Anaximenes, he started a speculative debate with the followers of, of Thales, and he began to say, uh, you know, I think there's something more basic than water, and that is air. Air is more basic than water. In fact, I believe that air is in water. So it seems to me that air is probably the most basic element. Move on a little longer. Heraclitus came after these two philosophers again. He started to talk about how everything changes. And, and uh, he said, you know, I think maybe fire is the most basic element. I'm not going to get into all the, the things, but he said it's more basic than air and is more basic than water. And there were several other early philosophers that came in, and you, you might know this, suggested dirt was the most basic element. So we've got air and we've got water and we've got fire and we've got dirt as the most basic elements. And they're, they're having these philosophical debates. What is the most basic element? So there was a, a, a philosopher that came along, and he said, you know what? These elements really are woefully inadequate. They don't really get to the, the most basic of everything. His name was Democritus. 
Democritus is the one who came out and said, you know what, I think the most basic element, the existence of everything fundamentally is composed of atoms. And atoms is where we've landed. Today we study atoms, we research atoms, we do, and we have found that atoms are the most basic element of everything. And it started with all of this debate. So, so you can see that there's contributing notions. Earth or, or dirt was a contributing notion to the most basic element. Fire was contributing. Water was contributing. Air was contributing. They all had something to say about what was the most basic. But then the core of it came down to an atom. So for us, we're going to spend the next several weeks. And I had, man, I had to do today to set this up because it's going to get real exciting next week. This was kind of setting everything up. So we understand that holiness really hasn't gone anywhere, that we need to think about how to talk about it differently to present it to a way that engages people. We've talked about that there are contributing notions to holiness. There are things that we say these are, these are holiness or, or maybe they're just part of holiness. So we need to look at and find what is the core of holiness. So the band's going to come up and we're going to close here in a minute with a some worship and a, and a prayer. And I'm guessing that you can see where I'm going with all of this. Holiness, the pursuit of righteousness, the idea that our fabric and God's fabric can be woven together, that we can have this uh, interpersonal relationship with Him that causes us to not want to sin. The thing that speaks to that, the core of that relationship is what we've been talking about all summer and what we will talk about for the next several weeks. And just identify exactly how does love affect and become the core of holiness? How is love the most basic element of that thing that draws us to God that causes us to fall madly and deeply in love with Him, that causes us to, to choose Him and not choose sin, that causes us to want to walk in lockstep with Him. What other thing or being in the world can we say, we want to give all to you, we want only what you want, we want to walk with you, we want to allow you to take my desire and merge it with your desire. I submit that without love, his love for us and our love for him, it's impossible. So the next several weeks, we're going to talk just about that. And we're going to get into the depths of what holiness is and how it's not a set of rules, but it's a relationship of love that God wants to have with us that causes us to want to be even closer to Him. And perhaps through all of this, when we are out in the world and we're talking with people, we can look at them and say, God loves you 
and desires to have this kind of relationship with you. And we can help them understand what that is and what that looks like. Because ultimately, isn't that the purpose? Isn't that the point? Isn't that what we're trying to do? To reach others for Him in that kind of a way. I had the opportunity to do a opportunity is the wrong word. I did a funeral message, a funeral yesterday for a friend of mine who um, got COVID and died. And um, as I reflected on, on this guy, I was reminded of the way he loved people. And you know, the way he lived his life is the way I want to live my life. And that is, I want to love God so much. And I want to be so in love with God that other people see me and they want to follow me to God. And Paul said it first. I, I mean, I used to feel like, don't follow me because I'm going to mess up. But Paul said, if you're pursuing God, pursue me because I'm pursuing God. That's the way this guy lived. Not, don't get me wrong, I don't want people to follow me. I just want, if they look at me, I want them to see God. If they look at me, I want them to know, man, this guy loves Jesus, man. And that it influences them to love Jesus too. That's the core of holiness. Man, let's pray. God, today we are so incredibly grateful for your love for us. We're so grateful for that you, that you have uh, drawn us to you. Irresistible grace, which is love, your undeserved love and favor. God, would you continue to move in us, to work in us, to draw us to you? May we all love, and I think that our what we say as a church, to love like Jesus so that lives change. That's deep. Help it not to be a slogan, but a lifestyle. And we love you this morning. Help us in all that we do in Jesus' name.